But hello and welcome to CH Network Presents. This is our first ever episode in a series of what we hope will be lots and lots of great conversations about the kind of questions that people ask that they're wrestling with when they're exploring the Catholic Church and wondering if they should become a part of it. Uh, I'm Matt Swaim. I'm Outreach Manager for the Coming Home Network, and it's my privilege to help facilitate these conversations. And if you're someone dealing with issues like the ones we're discussing today, uh, please do come visit us at chnetwork.org. And especially if you're looking for support from others who are either going through or who have been through uh, these same situations, definitely come check out our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. And today, to kick things off for this whole series, we get to tackle one of the biggest obstacles that a lot of people face when it comes to Catholicism or even Christianity in general. And that's um, the fact that in an age where a lot of evangelicals are deconstructing um, or there's a lot of people out there who are raised Catholic but aren't practicing and have all kinds of weird impressions about what the church is about, it's often a pretty big deal to have to overcome uh, your weak experiences of Christianity or your negative or even hurtful or confusing experiences of Christianity. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And luckily, today's guests have dealt with all of that. Um, so I'm excited to welcome them to this inaugural episode of CH Network Presents. Uh, Pat and Christine Flynn have both shared the stories of how they became Catholic on the journey home. They've done written versions of their stories as well. You can find those at chnetwork.org slash converts. Pat and Christine, welcome. Thanks for being my guinea pigs on this uh, episode one. It's a pleasure to be here, Matt. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully this is more like, uh, I don't know. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark and not like the Phantom Menace as far as first episodes go. Oh, I uh, love Phantom Menace, but I admit uh, I am in a minority position there. But I'm a, I'm an apologist, actually. When I'm not doing apologetics for the Catholic faith, I'm usually doing That's it not either. the kind of apologetics we do here, Pat. <laughs> for Phantom Menace. So, so, yeah, we could we could do a little bit of both, I suppose. Anyway, sorry. That could get real rough real fast. So, uh, well, I, I wanted to invite you guys on because... Uh, so you share this in your stories, but the short version is, Pat, you were a cradle Catholic who became an atheist. Christine, you were kind of spiritual but not religious. Both of you decided from a young age that Christianity was off the table. It was not an option. So let's get to the baggage. Um, Christine, I want to start with you because yours is a little bit more epic. Briefly, what was your take on faith as a kid? And what were some of the experiences that led you to say to yourself, especially through high school, Christianity is not an option for me? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I kind of always thought that there was a creator. Uh, my best friend growing up was Catholic. Um, uh, and my family had been Catholic. So it seemed, it seemed logical, at least, that everybody just believed in God. I thought that's just what you did, you know. Uh, but, you know, I had, I started having those big questions that we all have, you know, uh, where are we from? Where are we going? Why are we here? Who made us? And this blanket idea of some kind of God that I really didn't know anything about, my parents had already left the faith long before I was born. So church wasn't really an option. And it was only it only happened if we had to go, like if a, a grandparent was visiting or, um, or for a funeral or a wedding. Um, I, I just didn't have anywhere else to go to answer those questions. And so I started uh, at the local bookstores spiritual section whenever we would go and came across some pretty wild new age stuff and started piecing together my own religion of one. Um, so by the time I was in high school, I was I was a I was a I was a huge seeker, spiritually speaking. Um, but because of uh, my hangups on Christianity, either from my parents saying that it's 
um, nonsense or just the the negative experiences I had with uh, extended family members or uh, friends in school, I just figured that it wasn't really for me. And and really, even my best friend being Catholic, it seemed like she was just being dragged to church every Sunday. So I didn't really have anybody who was on fire for the faith or that who could explain uh, why. And so Christianity just became something that serious seekers did not engage in at all. Didn't you have like a really messed up like Baptist slumber party experience? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds funny when you say it like that. Yeah, and, and yeah, so I was friends. I mean, I was I grew up in uh, the Bible Belt in North Carolina. And actually the three things that I got asked from multiple people for many years actually after we moved was where are you from? What does your daddy do? What church do you go to? And I knew I was answering all three of those questions. By the way, those wrong. are the questions that my parents always asked of any girl I brought home. So cuz I'm from you know, Kentucky and Tennessee. Oh, so, see? So, so, so same, it's a same thing. Deal. Yeah. Same deal. So to say that I'm, you know, my family's from New York. My dad worked for a foreign company and we didn't go to church. Like I was just answering That's all two the strikes. questions wrong. I know. Three strikes. <laughs> so You're bad. Out. So bad. But I, so, so I was surrounded by Baptists besides my, and I actually, that's not true. I had a couple Mormon friends, but yeah, mostly Baptists in the Bible belt there. And uh, we got invited over to a sleepover myself, uh, the two Baptist girls and a girl who was from Hong Kong. And so wasn't really a believer in, in much of, of anything. So, um, and she was going back to Hong Kong the following week and, um, and for whatever reason, the two Baptists decided that that sleepover was a good time to evangelize myself. And I feel so bad for this poor girl because she was, she got really scared because they led off with the rapture, right? Just so you know, it's coming. You're going to hell if you don't believe, oh, by the way, you could be on an airplane flying to Hong Kong, you know, and, um, everybody gets taken and you're just left there with a pile of clothes of everybody else around you, including the pilot. And you're going to be a slave of Satan for a thousand years. So by the end of this, yeah, she was crying because she's thinking of her airplane trip the next week back to Hong Kong, scared about her family, scared that she's going to become a slave of Satan. Um, and I was, it was very angry because I felt like she was being bullied. Uh, and I had heard this stuff before and I was able to brush it off. This was the first time she had heard it. So she was super emotional about it. There was a lot of yelling, a lot of yelling. I think the sleepover got cut short because of how uh, passionate everybody was becoming. <laughs> and I just couldn't imagine at that point that, um, one, I, I just, if there was a God, I couldn't imagine he'd be that mean, um, and, and make a little girl cry. And then if this was what Christianity was, I didn't want anything to do with it. Were you thinking, um, and, and, and this is kind of my last question in this sort of segment of, of this for you, were you thinking, man, those Baptist girls were mean, or were you thinking Christianity as a whole is garbage? <laughs> I mean, were you I, making those distinctions? That's a both and, actually. <laughs> Yeah. So they were both being mean, but also, um, if this is, if this is what Christianity actually is, then it's gotta be a pile of junk. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Pat. Yes, sir. So I, I don't think, unless you've revealed it in some other form that I'm not privy to, that you ever had a messed up Baptist slumber party experience. No, I don't think I ever so, knew a Baptist growing up actually. So you were more like, this is just uninteresting and uncompelling stuff, right? Yeah, so I grew up in, in more of the Midwest, Michigan and Wisconsin, and whatever else religion was um, then and there was very much uh, below the surface. It was not obvious in my friends group. It was not obvious in my family. So I, I had your very nominal introduction uh, to Christianity and the Catholic faith, and I mean like kindergarten level theology, like just enough bad theology to get you to the traditional conflict between faith and reason and faith and science, right? So I, I, I get to the sixth grade, and I start hearing about sort of the, 
you know, the sketches of Big Bang cosmology that you'll get in the sixth grade. And just immediately thinking, this isn't what I remember from my first grade Sunday school class, right? And of course, if I'm going to choose between one of the two, I'm going to choose the one that I think is more enlightened, right? So I didn't throw my hands up at that point and de declare myself an atheist by any means, but it was it was a big initial crack in whatever sort of thin faith I had at the time that would continue to, um, yeah, rupture over time. And but also, you know, in the background there is because there just wasn't really any significant religious sphere that I was in, there wasn't even like anybody I could go to to try and see if there was more to the religious side. Like I would never have thought about asking my parents about it, right? I just I just would have assumed maybe they actually had tremendous answers and I just never know, knew and I still don't know to this day. So was this just, public school or a Catholic school? No, I was always I'm a product of the public education system. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's how it turned out so amazing. Yeah, but yeah. I got I got like the educational system. Uh, for, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was blue ribbon school, so believe that. And Half um, blue ribbon, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I I got thrown into you know a, a literal Sunday school class here and there. I remember I went with a um, a friend one time after a sleepover, which is probably one of the few, very very few experiences that I had with a friend that was in any way religious at all. It was just like one time we went to a, a Sunday school thing together, but. Other than that, it was all Nintendo 64 and pop culture and Furbies and Pokemon and nothing. Nobody was throwing any Bibles at me. Even through college, they're like no, nobody ever really just like tried to evangelize me. Or if, if they did, I wasn't paying attention, which might be the case. Christine will tell you I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing. So, yeah. no, my experience of Christianity was not negative, but it was just uh, weak to non-existent growing up. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a sleepover in there. Is that? Is that, is that oh, he did. Because this is a special sleepover edition of Coming Home Network Presents. <laughs> uh, did, so none of this, at no point were you like, well, um, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas's five proofs for the existence of God would easily help you understand these sorts of things. Or, you know, there are 14 craters on the moon named after Jesuit astronomers. The churches easily wrestle with this. The Vatican Observatory is still going to this day. Like, none of that stuff was like on your radar at all. No, I had no idea any of that stuff existed at all. I had no idea of the history, the intellectual history or tradition of the Catholic Church, how much muscle it actually had. Uh, no, it just, it just seemed like this old, thin and weak artifact. That's it. Mm -hmm. All right. So you both ended up agnostic. I think if I recall correctly, Christine says that you became atheist. And just at the point that you had dragged her into the depths of atheism, you started right. climbing out of it and abandoned her down there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but you both kind of had sort of a spiritual awakening uh, at the same time, uh, around the same time period, I should say. Um, when you started to open back up to that possibility of faith, was it because a Christian presented faith to you in a reasonable and compelling way, or was it something completely disconnected with your experience of meeting Christians? This is one of my leading questions that I intend to ask before this thing is out. Yes. Well, Pat, why don't you go? I mean, you, be, you started turning towards Christ well before I did. This is true. Yeah. After I thoroughly dragged my wife into the abyss of nihilism, I decided I've had just about enough of that and uh, <laughs> wanted, <Thank you. laughs> wanted to reconsider some things. Yeah. So, I mean, long story short, people can hear the longer interview on the on the Coming Home Network where I detail this. But um, whatever original shortcomings I thought the Christian worldview had intellectually, I found out the atheistic and naturalistic worldview, it's far, far worse when you actually really investigate it. So I got to a point where I said, 
threw my hands up. I, d- I don't know what's true, but this whole materialist, reductionist, physicalist, naturalist paradigm, it definitely ain't that, right? So let's, uh, let's, let's reconsider some options here. And it was not Christianity right away. In fact, Christianity, I just figured, <laughs> it's probably certainly not that as well. Uh, so uh, I was kind of researching and investigating and reading in many different directions at once. I was reading all the kind of um, ancient yet brilliant thinkers that I sort of condescendingly dismissed, you know, throughout uh, throughout my years, including the great pagan thinkers, you know, who I was, who I was familiar with through my, you know, intro to... Um, philosophy courses, but never just took that seriously. Plato and Aristotle and those guys. I was also very much interested in Eastern spiritualities and even some of Christine's old New Age stuff. I would ask her, like, hey, do you have some of those? I remember you were reading some like spiritual books at one point. Do you still have some of those? I was kind of embarrassed to ask her. <laughs> and then she kind of like condescendingly threw those my way, knowing that they were, were bunk. But yeah, sure, and go entertain yourself type of thing, right? So yeah, no, Christ- Christianity was not on my radar. I actually kind of moved myself to a broad uh, theistic religious pluralism position for a while, where like, yeah, no, I, I, now that I've discovered the great philosophical tradition of theism and arguments for existence of God, I became convinced of, of God's existence. Uh, but in it, kind of thinking of religion in a way that um, uh, some Hindus think about it, or even uh, thinkers like... Um, Aldous Huxley, who had a book at the time that was influential on me called uh, The Perennial Philosophy, right? So all religions yeah, yeah, are, are um, they're like true in a sense, but false in a sense, right? They're, they're true and they're all like groping at something transcendent and real, but they're all right, false. And, and they, we in the enlightened West are in a vantage point in a position to look down at all of them and measure their worth because we are somehow, yeah, that's that was sort of the interesting thing that I got when I was dabbling in that stuff. It's like, yeah. well... It's like the Beatles. It's like the Beatles uh, are like, well, let's uh, sample, you know, everything from the religious buffet of world cultures. But um, Christianity or Catholicism, that's like uh, the frozen rewarmed green beans at the end. We do not put that on our plate. Everything else is fair game. That's that's correct. And it is. I mean, it really is a a question begging and arrogant position because they claim to see the whole elephant. Right. Everyone else only sees a piece of the elephant. Right. But they see the whole <laughs> elephant. True. I never thought of it that way, but it's so true. Yeah. But it's like, well, why should I think you see the whole elephant rather than somebody else? You, you haven't really given me that many great arguments for it. Um, and in fact, once I began to study the world religions more, I realized, OK, this view actually isn't anything new. The Catholic Church has dealt with and responded to this type of view and the historical veracity. And I would say sort of philosophical and theological rigor in the Catholic Church just was much more convincing to me at the end of the day that I, I came to see, OK, and the Catholic Church is is, is cool because you don't have to say all that stuff is all wrong all the way through, right? Uh, there's just a, a true north, so to speak. So it kind of gave me the best of all worlds, if you will, of this this great sort of uh, intellectually rich tradition. It has a solid historical grounding, but you can still look at other traditions and other cultures, the pagans or other religions, and and say, yeah, they they got that right. Maybe not all the way right, and that other thing's wrong, but they got that right, and the Catholic Church recognizes that, assimilates it, refines it, incorporates it. Um, so now I totally forgot what your original question was, Matt. I've oh, I was just going to say, was that, that turning point that got you to like aim that way towards faith again and out of nihilism where you had left poor Christine, What was, was there like an event or like a thing that happened that was like, I got to... I got to shift position. Yeah, there's a series. There is a series, as it usually is. I don't think I had any one sort of cataclysmic moment, but it was um, constantly coming up in the in the naturalistic, materialistic worldview of having to deny 
things that I think cannot be coherently denied. Uh, aspects of reality, like a moral landscape, like human free will, like human reason also, or consciousness. I mean, it gets real spooky once you get deeper into naturalistic philosophies. And just seeing all the bullets I would have to bite to try and be consistent with this philosophical paradigm and all the things I would have to give up, essentially entailing a nihilistic outlook, and then becoming just utterly convinced down to every fiber of my being that this is not the world that we live in. This is not a nihilistic universe. I can know the truth about things. I can reason. I am a libertarian free agent, right? There is a moral landscape. Some things are truly wrong. It was these series of recognitions, each one um, a blow to that paradigm until eventually, yeah, I just I threw my hands up and decided I had to be rid of the entire thing. So not one thing, many, many different things over time. Mm -hmm. I know you've both talked in separate uh, conversations about how like becoming parents like really messed with all of this for you. Christine, I wonder if you could like talk about that uh, a little bit about how that was a major kind of faith event that was not like some Baptist coming in and evangelizing you in the, you know, the nursery ward, but it was like sort of like a, an opening moment for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had grown so cynical um, <clears throat> and so negative about everything in life. And then we became parents and I had this beautiful little bundle of fat and just love, you know, <laughs> I just fell in love with. And, um, and I was got really scared there for a minute because I started feeling my mortality very acutely. You know, I, I'm going to pour all this love and attention into this child. And then what, what, 100 years from now, nobody's going to remember us, really. We're going to be dust, worm food. And it horrified me. And for, you know, for the first time in a long time, I mean, it's been a number of years, I realized that I was tired of being cynical and I actually wanted to hope in something else. And it was because of the love that I had for my son, because the idea that we would be separated after this life and that would be it and we wouldn't get to see each other anymore was heartbreaking to me. So, um, so you know, I, I benefited. Pat's very intelligent and I, and I respect his intelligence very, very much. So that's why I became atheist because I had my own hangups and, and questions and fears that weren't being answered by the spiritual but um, not religious life. Uh, so I benefits, uh, benefited from his uh, research into, into the faith more and, um, and got to hear all of his philosophical arguments for things, even things that I, I didn't even think I wanted to argue about. And I thought I had, uh, it was settled, you know, <laughs> my, my opinion was settled. So I benefited from that. So on top of, um, of this hope that I was finally feeling and this uh, exhaustion from all the skepticism over the years and this love for my son and then also having Pat... Um, just kind of living and breathing all of this stuff, uh, I, I wound up possibly maybe thinking about giving faith a, a chance again. So, man, I got, I have a few questions because you guys have both opened like a lot of really interesting doors. Um, uh, first of all, I think that this is an important point to bring home to like, like Catholics or, or Christians of any kind who think that atheists are just like, they don't care about the big questions. And in fact, human beings care about a lot of things because they're human beings. Um, and I think it's important to really recognize that and to, you know, I think it's so easy for us to dismiss this group or dismiss that group and think, well, they're not taking seriously any of these questions when I mean, we're human beings. I mean, this is this is who we are. This is how we think. But, but also, um, it strikes me that in this turning point that God is using like childbirth, right? Or God is using 
kind of the natural implications of a naturalistic worldview that denies even free will or consciousness, you know, to, to try and like draw you back to him. I wonder if he uses those things in you guys' two cases because he knew that if he sent some Baptist preacher, right, or some priest, you know, to you, you would have been like, yeah, sorry, no thanks, guys, we're good here. Yeah, no, I, there's there's a couple things I want to I want to say about that. Uh, first is that it's 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 right. I can't imagine that I would have done anything, but been extremely rude and arrogant if somebody just tried to preach the gospel to me from an evangelical perspective. Um, so that's right. But you're, but I, I also want to highlight that there yes there are different kinds of of atheists, and this is something I've had to come to learn and appreciate myself. And I think what kind of Makes, made me a little bit different, Matt, as, as I wasn't an atheist who had a bad prior religious experience. And this, this colors things significantly. See, my, my atheism, I think, was a sort of genuine trying to figure out the world we live in. And it just, it just seemed like for a while this is where reason was leading me. I wanted to be a, a man who was scientifically informed. And if this is the truth about the, th- about the world, then this is, this is the truth, right? And I had no animus against religion. In fact, even though I, I'm sure I said many snotty and childish things about religion, I really had no hatred of religion. I, I, didn't, I never thought that all of the world's problems reduced to religion. Yeah. I never, and, when and I was an atheist, why, I never took the new atheist seriously. I always thought those guys were bozos, right? Um, I was, yeah, and that's why I was kind of curious. This is why I, I was so interested in involving you in this conversation because yours does not come from hostility. It's just like, well, it's just not serious, right? It's just not right. a serious way of, of understanding reality, right? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is I've had to learn somewhat the hard way that that's not all atheists. And, and in fact, I'd say probably more atheists than not that I've engaged with online are sort of people who switch from one fundamentalist worldview to another. Uh, they had some sort of fundamentalist upbringing of Christianity that was extremely negative. They rejected it. And I can't blame them. I would reject that 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 too, right? But then they just become fundy atheists. And it isn't really a sort of honest, and now look, I'm doing a little, you know, armchair psychology here, but I can do it at least once a day, right? It doesn't seem to be somebody who's really trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of the world. It seems to be, now I've made a commitment that religion bad, and no matter what, I'm going to keep saying that on Twitter as loud as I can. I don't care what arguments you throw at me. So I sort of made the mistake early on thinking, oh, if somebody's an atheist, they just Need to hear a nice articulation of the argument from contingency. Problem solved. Joke's on me. That ain't the case, right? Um, there's people who are I've a lot been more co- a thousand times <laughs> trying to do that, man. People are a lot more complicated than that. Now, this is not again to uh, disparage people like that because it's understandable. Now, now that I've kind of you know been in the world of Catholic apologetics and having many more conversations, oh, I I see that now. And so now, now what we need to do is, is maybe not just talk about philosophical arguments for God, but we need to just, just talk, <laughs> just, just talk in, in general and share experiences and, 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 and be able to say, oh, what you rejected, I, I totally see why you rejected that. That, that actually makes sense. Uh, but that's actually not all of Christianity. In fact, I would, I would say that's a very distorted view of Christianity. And I think the key I'm trying to get at here is apologetics for why something is true is almost worthless unless somebody already sees that something is good. Agreed. Agreed a thousand percent. This is, by the way, the this is why the Coming Home Network is set up the way that it is, right? We're not going out there, you know, we, we deal with a lot of people who are Protestant pastors who are interested in the Catholic Church, but it's not because we're out flyering every Baptist church in the Midwest, right? It's because they come to us because they've already started thinking that way. Um, and therefore, all of our conversations end up being extremely productive, <laughs> right? But if I just go out there and just start, like, you know, 
shooting bullets. I mean, it's a recipe for madness. But there's something else that you said in there, Pat, that I think is so important to to understand, uh, especially in this evangelical world, because I've talked to so many friends of mine. My experience is different than both of you all. I was ticked off. I had terrible experiences with Christians. I had versions of Christianity that I didn't take seriously, but I stayed in and tried to find, you know, what's the true strain. But I got all these friends of mine who had bad or weak experiences, and especially some from the more fundamentalist variety. And uh, they were like, the first time, it's like you in, it's like you in Sunday school, Pat. Like the first time they were like, oh, the earth is more than 6,000 years old. I guess Christianity's not true, right? Or like they have um, some friend who is in some sort of like gender questioning situation, and they're like, therefore, God does not exist. Like it's, that's all it takes to crack it. Um, and in a sense, they become the same kind of atheists as you were mentioned that they were fundamentalists because there's really two groups of, I mean, there's only two main, I mean, this is a false dichotomy, but there's two main groups of people out there that take the Bible extremely literally. That's the fundamentalists who hold on to it and the atheists who are trying to debunk it, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but, you know, this is the, I mean, and this is why I want to kind of bring in Christine into this is that. As you're looking at this and opening back un- into it, I'm sure that this experience that you've had of like your horrible slumber party and everything is coming back to you and you're probably thinking, I don't want to be one of those people. Like, I don't want to like throw my lot in with those wackos. I mean, did you have to wrestle with that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just had, uh, gosh, either I grew up either um, with that negative view of Christianity because it was just stuff. Uh, it just it just seems so mean and also this pop culture kind of version with the WWJD bracelets they were really big at the time when i was in middle school and high school and it just seemed like you know was jesus really just your your buddy who would you know play guitar with you on the quad is that is that what this faith thing is because i think it should be taken more seriously than that so um yeah coming into the christian tradition uh, one, one, I was pretty anti-catholic for a while um pat had to uh, lead me in gently uh, for that, but I knew that whatever denomination I wound up with, it needed to be one that wasn't um, fire and brimstone Baptist, but also needed to be one that took the faith very seriously um, and gave it the reverence that, if if it's true, it deserves. So that took out a lot of. Um, I had gone to uh, a non-denominational service that used a T-shirt cannon to shoot T-shirts out into the crowd and everything. So I knew it wasn't that either, um, and I was really. Yeah, I was, I was nervous. I mean, what did I have to fundamentally change everything about myself and I would suddenly fit into this this Christian bucket that I I only knew about, you know, in this either uh, mean, the, the mean-spirited way or this kind of caricature way. But I was actually, I was thinking about this. I, my parents are on the older side and the only people in their 30s that I ever knew were my friend's parents. And I was petrified of turning 30 for a long time because I thought that I would turn out like them. They just drank a lot of bourbon and Coke, listened to a lot of um, Brick House. I mean, they were just, it seemed kind of bunko and, and golf outings. And I, it seemed so boring and not me. And I got scared that all 30s, that's what I would turn into. But then I got into my 30s. I was like, oh, wait, I'm still me. <laughs> you know, that's still my personality. And then I realized, you know, Christianity is like that as well. Of course, Christ, you know, takes me and, and dismantles me and, and puts me together in something new. But I'm not... I'm not suddenly somebody who's going to, you know, stand outside of school and throw Bibles into the car, open car windows on a nice day or yell at somebody that they're going to hell and going to be a slave of Satan. Um, I'm still fundamentally myself. I'm just now uh, a Christian, which changes everything, of course, as well. You know, it's interesting the way that you're putting that, because um, I was uh, 
and I've shared this um, and on the journey, if you want to get into my full, you know, range of baggage, uh, you know, going through the terminal. But, you know, I had a very, some very negative experiences of hypocrisy in Christian churches, uh, but I also didn't believe what I was hearing in my secular public school. And so I descended into the Christian punk rock underground and I was so against like what I thought of as domesticated versions of Christianity. And, um, I knew that Jesus was a radical. He's a crazy, he, he was insane, man. He set the world on fire and then he died and rose. This is not like Hallmark channel stuff. I mean, this is intense. Uh, and I wanted uh, something that reflected the reality of that. But I also, you know, until I started coming to Catholicism, I always picked churches or house churches or Bible studies based on, you know, people I liked and people with whom I shared a whole bunch of other things in common already before we ever came together on the Christianity question. And so it was always people who were just like me. And Catholicism, at first it scared me, but then I found it like a liberating thought. Like, all these other churches I'd been to were like homogenous groups of people who kind of all act and prayed and thought a certain way. And I just didn't want to be like in that homogenous world. Once you get into Catholicism, you start to realize, well, as I like to say, they prepare you for the fact that the church is full of sinners. They don't really prepare you for the fact that it's full of weirdos too. Like we can handle the sinners. Like our ecclesiology can handle like sin and repentance. It can't handle like the weird people, right? <laughs> that you're stuck in the same body of Christ with. And, you know, just realizing that the church is like a place for everybody, mean people, nice people, Irish people, Italian people, Polish people, Latinos and Africans and Filipinos, like, and me, and me too. Like, I'm allowed in that group too. And so I think that kind of helped me get over some of my own, I guess, resistance to like, oh, I'm going to join this thing and become this one specific carbon copy of everybody else that's in that in that world um i don't know if you guys dealt with that but i'm airing way too much of my baggage this is you guys' show today so <laughs> yeah no that's like, that uh, go ahead go ahead my oh dear. no yeah no i was just gonna say that was one thing that i i was scared about becoming a christian you know long time ago even thinking about it seriously is it just seemed so white bread and not interesting mm -hmm. and i um i just wanted something more interesting and, and I don't know, culturally varied than, than what I was seeing in, uh, in North Carolina churches, you know, at the time. And it's interesting because Catholicism has given, I mean, it's, it's Catholic, it's universal. And that includes everything on earth and all the different peoples and cultures. And it's, it's, um, it's been awesome. The one thing that was concerning to me, and it was a real concern, Matt, starting out, wasn't that, um, I would become somebody weird. I've always been weird. So that was, that was automatic. Um, it was what I would have to give up. And this was a, a real thing that I struggled with because it was clear in my mind that I was not living a Catholic life. But I was at the point where I was like, if this is true, then some some stuff is going to have to change. A lot of stuff, right? And I just take out the, the scroll of my, my sinful lifestyle. And that is not... Now, look, I'm not saying like people are only atheists or not religious because they want to sin. I'm saying from my experience, that was that was a hurdle. That was something I, I and not only that um, I wasn't sure I wanted to give stuff, certain stuff up. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to give it up, which showed to me a sort of lack of, of trust in, in the efficaciousness of grace. Now, by God's grace, <laughs> we are striving at the things that I never thought I'd be able to give up have been given up, and some of them almost almost automatically and, and, and miraculously, which was a, a sort of uh, deep point of conviction for me of the, the reality of the Catholic faith. But if we're talking again about baggage, this was something that wasn't on 
the intellectual level, or, or maybe it was something I saw, but it was a genuine hurdle that, uh, that yeah, it was, it was intimidating to me. And it was something, because the way I saw the Catholic faith, and I think this is right, is I, I, I saw it as something like, look, this isn't something that I can be like one foot in, one foot out. This is something either I'm all in, I'm, I'm committing my full life to Christ and God's church. And it's sort of like, I love how a, a lady philosopher, I love very much Eleanor Stump when she's explaining Aquinas, that justification is like enlisting, right? It's like enlisting. And now that you're enlisted, you shouldn't expect a life of just rainbows and unicorns, right? If anything, the sort of the suffering in your life and the purification might just get ratcheted up tenfold. Because now, now you're enlisted, buddy, for a life of, of holiness. And I think that was something I actually understood before I, I made the full heart commitment to go with the head commitment. But it was, it was intimidating. I'm so glad. You guys are the perfect people to have this conversation with. Uh, I don't know if you realize this um, or if anybody's picked your brain in this specific way before. Uh, but I think it's such a valuable thing to discuss because, again, there's so many people who are coming to us at the Coming Home Network interested in the Catholic Church, and they're thinking, well— um, Everybody's going to think I'm a weirdo at my work because I work with all these ex-Catholics who like, you know, there's no such thing as an ex-Catholic. I work with all these cradle Catholics who have like all these impressions. I work with all these Protestants who've seen a couple of Godfather movies and think they know what Catholicism is, right? Um, and I'm going to join this weirdo club. Or um, perhaps they think to themselves, well, I see how Catholics get treated in the media for their moral positions on various things that are unpopular with the zeitgeist. And everybody's going to look at me and think that's the guy who is backward and wants to return everybody to the Middle Ages. And 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 that's that's a real issue. I mean, I think as Catholics, it's very easy for us to assume, well, if we just present the arguments, the arguments speak for themselves, and anybody who doesn't accept those arguments is willfully resisting and rejecting the truth. When in fact, man, it's a lot messier than that. Um, it's a lot messier than that, especially if you got to look at yourself and look at all the implications. What's going to happen if you join up in this crazy, messy, beautiful reality of the church? Yeah, yeah. I'll say one quick thing here, and then I'll let Christine chime in because I think this this is probably more relevant to her side of the story. But there were things that really moved me um, that were not philosophical arguments. I remember. Um, for a number of years, I would I would drive to a coffee shop to just do my writing. And as I, I drove to the coffee shop, I would pass a parish that we eventually became members of, St. Pat's. And every once in a while, I would see the people come out of church. And I would see that they had beautiful families. And they would go to the park. And they seemed to have something. They just seemed to have a certain disposition, a certain glow, a certain orientation in life that was really attractive to me, especially as I looked out upon clown world. And it did seem like clown world to me, even when I was more part of clown world. It did seem like there's something seriously wrong with society and, and the ideas people have, ethical ideas, metaphysical ideas, what they think a human person is. But those people coming out of that church, they don't seem to look or think like that, <laughs> right? They seem to have something. Right. And then they'd go and play in the park with their kids. And it just it just, it was just nice. <laughs> right. So there's these there were little things like that, little things like that. And I think it just ties back into what we were saying before is like that softens somebody up. So that way the the arguments can actually be efficacious. Right. Because if I saw it, if I if I did see it as something evil and bad and I had this 
wholly negative experience of religion, I would have easily have been able. You would have to found ignore. a way to to say, "Well, I know what they're really like," right? You would have right. found a way to discredit it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure Christine actually did. At first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had a really bad view of of Christians. Um, I actually, you know, uh, feeling like a, a weirdo. One of, the, I mean. I, I've done a lot of stupid things that I've had to own up to my parents before. Telling them that I was going to be Catholic was the scariest one. Um, and I, I mean, I was sweating buckets of bullets for weeks thinking about when I was going to call my dad and tell him. And uh, it went, the phone call went great, by the way. <laughs> my dad was very, uh, I don't, you know, he was supportive enough, you know, just happy that I kept saying over and over again, I've done a lot of research, you know, it's, it's reasonable to have this faith. Uh, and he was fine. You know, it, it was me just, yeah, you know, blowing it uh, out of proportion. But even that, I um, the first time I wore a, a crucifix uh, necklace to to work, it felt like a neon sign. What would everybody think? You know, what is this weird thing I'm I'm suddenly into? Um, and then suddenly having to say no to friends' ideas of you know drinking heavily on the weekends for fun. All the all these things. It just um, it was challenging. And I, I even now I get a lot of questions um on through my own uh, platform. Of people asking, did I lose friends? What did your family think? Was it hard? And in ways it is, but I think we also forget often that there's a lot of grace that goes along with that, that God is calling us back and, and he will help and want it because he wants us to be in his church. So uh, all this stuff is very scary and it's messy, but we're not doing it alone. And I, I didn't realize that until I was in the thick of it. Well, it's that whole like the church is the TARDIS thing, right? It just, just it looks like this confining space and then you open it up and it's like a million times bigger on the inside yeah. than it is on the outside and of course pat you're hinting at the aerosmith theology right oh, that you yeah. were in like when you were in clown world it's like uh there's something wrong with the world today and i don't know what it is right something's wrong with our eyes we're living on the edge right and the church knows the church knows and there's something like really liberating about being like finally i know what the problem is like these people they know what the problem is like it they're, they're a bunch of weirdos and, you know, they're broken people, too, but they know what the problem is. And right. that's like something really relieving to be, be a part of because everybody else thinks they know what the problem is. And and it's just not a satisfying assessment of the situation. So that's right. And I'll, I'll say um, for those who are wondering, yeah, how, how best do I do I evangelize? Well, I think you always keep in mind that a sort of multi-pronged approach should be available. Yes, you should you should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you, right? That's in Scripture. So you should be able to articulate why you believe the Catholic faith is true, but it, it does seem most of the time inappropriate, to say the least, to just kind of like launch in with an aggressive barrage of arguments. Lead with genuine relationship, genuine interest in, in another person, right? And try the best you can not to be a hypocrite, right? <laughs> this is a thing that turns people off so much. Hypocrisy just turns people off so much. And now, of course, we're all going to fail. And that's just, that's just inevitable, right? But doing the best we can to pray for God's grace and live according to church teaching, uh, that stuff makes a difference. Because for people who are on the outside, which was me, when I saw people who were like authentically Catholic, right, that weren't hypocrites, but really trying to live the faith, and I knew they weren't perfect, right, but they were really trying, they really believed it, it was a beautiful thing, and it was so attractive, and at the end of the day, that probably had as much influence on me as any of the philosophical, historical arguments, it at least made me susceptible to the arguments, 
So if you forget that place, I sometimes call it the apologetic manner, right? The, there's the matter and there's the manner. The matter is kind of what you say, but the manner is how you present it. You need both. And I was fortunate at, at, at a certain point in my life where both were available to me that it actually made a difference. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've covered some pretty epic ground and not very much time here, but I want to get closing thoughts from you uh, just briefly. I'll start with you, Pat. Uh, Christine, I want you to have the last word um, <laughs> for a couple of reasons. Uh, but uh, that would be, Pat, uh, what would you say to someone who's watching this right now and who has felt drawn uh, inexplicably and in you know feels like even kind of strange about the fact that they're drawn in certain ways to the Catholic Church, but they're hung up on some of this stuff, right? They don't want to seem like they're a simpleton who's like left their intellect you know, at the door when they've come to the church. What would you say to somebody who who is dealing with those kinds of hang-ups yeah. um, mm-hmm. right now? Yeah, if you are a sincere seeker and you, you think you just have a sincere intellectual hang-up, I'll make it simple and I'll just recommend one book. I'll recommend one book that, that I think is a really great book. It's by a friend of mine. His name is Dr. Michael Rhoda. It's called Taking Pascal's Wager. And it's an incredible book. It's an updated version of the this famous argument that Pascal gave. Um, but it's a great book because it 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 offers a multi-pronged approach. He's going to give you a series of philosophical arguments for God, scientific confirmation of a theistic worldview, a historical investigation around the core claims of Christianity, and then he also details the lives of saints. So you get that beautiful ascetic moral argument. Then he shows you, of course, all you have to gain by beginning a life of religious seeking. You never fake it, right? You can't just fake belief, but it becomes rational to pursue this life in a sincere seeking way. What does that mean? If you're an agnostic, you can pray agnostic prayers. God, if there's a God, save my soul if I have a soul. Start hanging around other Catholics. Start popping into Mass. Start going to scripture studies, right? Just surround yourself in an environment because you have everything to gain nothing to lose. And that's not just concerning like friendship with God and afterlife, but that's in this life. The best sociological research we have right now shows that people who live a spiritual religious life are just better off in terms of all outcomes, physical, mental, you name it. So if that's that's what I recommend. If, if you're in that position, just do yourself a favor, get uh, Dr. Michael Rhoda's Taking Pascal's Wager. I think you'll find it to be that just final push you need and also provide some some clear directions of practical things you can do right now to continue moving yourself along. Yeah, and realize that, uh, you know, something that you didn't realize when you were a kid is that the church has thought really hard. The church has thought for 2,000 years about something that you've thought of for maybe a max of 40 right? <laughs> the church has thought through these things and has taken them very, very seriously. So, um, and then Christine, I put you last cause you're the harder question. Really. Um, what would you say to someone who is, is feeling this pull, feeling this draw, feeling this interest, but it's just like, I have been hurt. Um, I have been scorned. I have, you know, frankly been scandalized. Um, what would you say to like somebody who's like wrestling with that as part of this process? Great math teacher. Uh, he was he was brutal. He used to if, he, if you thought that he were you weren't paying attention, he would take his clipboard and slam it on your desk, make everybody jump, and and girls would scream because it would be so scary. He's just he was just a mean guy. But you know the math he still taught was correct. So I think often we look at um, at the, somebody who's presenting something to us. And instead of seeing if what they're presenting is true, um, we just look at the manner, like Pat had talked about the manner of evangelization. We just look in the manner that they're living their life or how they're presenting that to us and take that on faith, that whatever they're presenting to us must be the truth and and um, 
and uh, show us everything about the, the faith itself. Now, I was getting just bits and pieces of rapture and um, and then going to mass every once in a while with my friend and hearing bells ring every once in a while. And I, I thought that I had Christianity figured out because I had um, had some experiences with Christians. I think I, I took that on faith, but I wasn't willing to actually dive in and do my own own research and and try to be as impartial as possible, which is really difficult when you've had emotional experiences that might turn you away from it. But just like that math teacher, even though he was really mean, <laughs> didn't teach us incorrect math. Um, now, of course, there are people who are evangelizing who might be teaching us incorrect uh, doctrine of faith. But you know, I think trying to give it an act, you know, a really impartial, honest effort. Uh, again, like Pat says, you have nothing to lose. Actually, so I did a, a 30-day faith challenge, which is what finally got me to be Christian. And I said, for 30 days, I'm just going to give it a try. I will read scripture. I will, I guess, go to church. I'll do what Christians do. I don't know what they do, but I'll, I'll give it a try. And um, well, what? What happens at the end of the 30 days if I don't believe? Well, you know, I'll have to eat some crow, but I'll be a better atheist for it because now I can say I actually gave it a real honest effort to be a Christian. And if I actually become a Christian, well, future Christine will think about that and figure those things out. But, um, you know, for the first time in my life, after having all of those hangups and just negative experiences with people, I actually looked at the faith itself in the eyes rather than these other people who were presenting it to me and found that it was quite different than the caricature that I had built it up to be. And so I think just giving it an honest try um, and, and finding good resources, of course, there's plenty of those, especially on EWTN, um, to, to find um, where the truth actually is and not just how people presented it to you, no matter how unpalatable that may have been. Well, Pat, Christine, this has been awesome. Um, I'm so glad you accepted this invitation. You two are the, the perfect people that I wanted to talk about this issue with just because, um, again, so many of our members deal with this. I want to encourage people to check out Pat's website, which is chroniclesofstrength.com, all kinds of great stuff there, including how to become a bulkier man. Uh, and then, uh, of course, if you want to be a better Catholic mama, you can go see thecatholicmama.com. That is Christine's website. If you're someone who's wrestling with these situations— um, and are looking for a community in which to discuss them, please do come check out the Coming Home Network online community. That is community.chnetwork.org. There's a lot of people in there who have either gone through this or who are actively going through this, and it is a shame-free zone, uh, judgment-free zone, and we would love to meet with you in there. And, of course, you can check out the Journey Home episodes for both Pat and Christine. They've each done an hour piece um, sharing their baggage at great length, and that's at chnetwork.org. Org. Pat and Christine Flynn, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Thank you, Matt. God bless. Until next time, thanks so much for joining us on CH Network Presents. <laughs>